Welcome to Hollywood 2.0. This is Peter Katz. On today's show, our guest is Philip Patrick, publisher of Amazon's Kindle Worlds, the first platform where writers could sell their fan fiction inspired by popular stories such as Veronica Mars, Gossip Girl, The Vampire Diaries, G.I. Joe, and many more. Kindle Worlds is a platform. Uh, we started it uh, last summer, June of 2013. And we, the idea behind it was we saw a lot of writers out writing fiction inspired by TV shows, movies, games, all kinds of stuff that they loved. And it's all over the web. It's on a lot of amazingly cool sites. Uh, but when we look at it, we realized writers didn't have the ability to sell it if they chose to. They couldn't do that because they'd be violating somebody's copyright. So we thought, well, how can we change that? And uh, so we developed the platform, uh, got the licenses in place uh, to allow writers to come in to the worlds that we have licenses for, uh, write new stories based on those worlds, and we publish them onto Kindle. And uh, it's a pretty cool thing. So name some of the most uh, prominent uh, story worlds that you're offering through the platform. Uh, we have over 20 worlds up right now, um, and uh, we look, we're aiming to, and every day we try to add new ones uh, to create a great range. So we have the world of Kurt Vonnegut, uh, Slaughterhouse-Five, Kilgore Trout, and just last week we launched Veronica Mars um, into, into uh, Kindle Worlds. We also are about to launch G.I. Joe. Uh, we also have a lot of great uh, comic books from a company called Valiant based in New York, Bloodshot, Harbinger, Archer, and Armstrong. Uh, and we also are working with a lot of independent writers. And I think one of the, the themes that we see here are uh, how writers are able to uh, write in these worlds, but also a lot of writers are contributing their worlds into these, uh, into Kindle worlds. So one of the great writers we have up right now, among many, is a guy named Hugh Howey. And uh, he did a, a series called Wool, and, uh, which is going to be made into a movie by Ridley Scott. And uh, so we have his world up too. So we, just, we look for a lot of variety and things that we think writers will like. So what's attracting authors and rights holders to Kindle Worlds? Like what is, what is driving them to jump in and get their hands dirty with this completely new platform? Um, I think, well, I, there's two questions in there about writers and rights holders, and I think they approach it for different reasons, uh, and there's obviously some overlap. Um, I'm going to start with the rights holders, and then we'll talk about the writers in a minute. Um, from a rights holder perspective, a, a creator, a, a movie company, a TV company, whatever it may be, um, I think it's a level of, of engaging with fans that uh, we're seeing it more and more. Um, I mentioned Veronica Mars earlier. Uh, the, movie, the Veronica Mars movie launched uh, last week and, you know, uh, was funded by Kickstarter. That's how it got started, how Rob Thomas got the money to get that going, um, you know, with uh, funding from all of the marshmallows out there. So we're seeing fan engagement get into worlds in entirely new ways. And I think people who are into uh, their audience are seeing Kindle Worlds as one more extension of that. Uh, they also, I think a lot of them love to see the stories, you know, the creators have started these worlds. I think one of the things that combines these worlds together is that they are incredibly broad, rich experiences with lots of characters, lots of storylines, great settings. And there's no way one person can explore them all or one creative team can explore them all. So letting people in to take side characters 
out and understand them more are a, a, a small event in a, in a story. Would you consider like prototyping or R&D like in some ways that they're kind of well, experimenting yeah. for how far they could take it? I think, I mean, that could absolutely be a, a, a wonderful side product of this. If uh, the film company or a TV company saw something they like, saw people responding to it, that might open up an avenue that they want to explore more. Um, I think from the writer perspective, um, I think there's a couple motivations. Um, I think one motivation is uh, when you fall in love with something, when you fall in love with characters, storylines, uh, writers want to respond and writers respond by writing. Um, and uh, so that's giving them the opportunity to do that uh, is part of what, why we launched, of course. I also think it's a great opportunity to get good at the craft. Um, there's a, a sense in a, from a lot of people, well, writing in somebody else's world is easy. It's not easy. It's actually really hard. Um, and it's a, a completely different creative challenge than creating your own characters. You're working with, within a, a social structure, characters, a backstory that has been created, and you have to stay true to that. Otherwise, the fa other fans aren't gonna like your work. And then you have to, you have to uh, do your thing with it. That's not easy. So I think it's a combination of uh, loving something and also finding a, a brand new creative challenge. And lastly, you know, an audience. These shows, these movies, they have built-in audiences. It's a great way for people to get discovered. So it's like open source storytelling. I think yeah, that's a great way of looking at it. Um, you know, I mentioned Hugh Howie earlier, and Hugh wrote an amazing uh, blog post on Slate uh, in February. Um, and I just suggest everyone go Google Hugh Howie Slate, and uh, you'll find it. And he talked about fan fiction um, from a historical perspective, which I found really interesting, which is, the concept of IP is a relatively modern concept. Storytelling has been for much longer period of human history about sitting around, much like we are here today, uh, but maybe there's a campfire in the middle, and somebody tells a great story, and then somebody hears that story, and then they repeat it to somebody else, and maybe they try to one-up it. Um, you know, there's it, that kind of narrative storytelling, collaborative storytelling that builds upon each other is really a big part of, uh, of, of who we have been um, culturally. And uh, so, yeah, I think it's great to see it kind of come back. Well, you see like the continuation of stories and franchises like James Bond and all these classic titles like Marvel is like this continuation. And I think that you need the support of real infrastructure to do that. But in a lot of ways, you're crowdsourcing the infrastructure to support IP indefinitely, which, you know, in the past, you'd have studios and all these Hollywood writers doing that. So it's kind of interesting that you're, you're helping this last much longer and have much more of a diverse reach. Yeah, um, so one of the worlds we have is the Vampire Diaries. Great uh, property launched by Alloy in New York, and that, of course, was the Warner Brothers or the CW show around it. Um, we launched in June of last year. We've published 122, 25 new stories in that in about eight months. So to see people jumping in and taking the stories they love, the characters they love, and pushing them forward, um, the, the studio couldn't do that on their own. And so it's just another venue for that to happen, another avenue of storytelling in that world. And with Vampire Diaries, there was a, a very serious author who actually wrote the initial um, you know, books in the series who after leaving uh, the actual world of the more traditional publishing hopped on this platform and became a, a real yeah. kind of rock star on it. Yeah, L.J. Smith. Um, 
she was she wrote the first Vampire uh, Diaries um, books and uh, very successfully, uh, huge bestsellers, tons of copies sold, um, and then uh, that franchise got taken over by other writers, which often happens uh, with franchise writing, and uh, she had, she still had stories she wanted to tell, and so when we opened up the world, we her agent and reached out to us and said, hey, we want to put some stories up. And we were like, yeah, we think it's cool. And, and it's like an underdog story. It's like, no longer write for the big book. What's going to happen next? Well, we're going through Amazon. Now look at what happens. It's, a kind, of, it's kind of a cinematic thing is that she went from one place and landed here. And who knew how it was going to respond, but she really broke out as a hit writer. Yeah, and I think the, 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 the big piece for me um, and is that we want to give writers options. We want to give writers access. And we think whenever writers have options, whenever they have access, good things happen. And that might be somebody who's completely undiscovered. Um, you know, we have uh, uh, one of the early writers we wrote. She actually also wrote in the in the Vampire Diaries world. A writer named Michelle Hazen. Um, she's been working really hard, and we published her books, and they've done incredibly well for us. Uh, we have a lot of writers. It's their first novel that they've ever written and published, or first story they've ever written. And then you take somebody like L.J. Smith, who's incredibly successful. We have a lot of other writers who are, are huge sellers who have written for us. Hugh Howie actually wrote a piece of fiction for us in the Kurt Vonnegut world called Peace and Amber. So to see all these different writers approaching for different reasons um, is really uh, why we do what we do. So what is the quality control on this uh, platform? Because you look at fan fiction on Tumblr and all sorts of different sites, and they can go in many different directions. I'm not even say quality, but so diverse and sometimes erotic. There's a whole mix of things, but it feels like there's a, a, a filtering mechanism that there is a certain, I would say, which, a certain type of presentation of narrative that Amazon's looking for. Is there, like, in a way, the best practices for the type of work that's on the platform? Um, a couple things. Um, when we license rights from companies that own the rights or writers that own the rights, we asked them, we said, what are the rules of play in your world? And maybe violent content is perfectly appropriate in one world, but completely inappropriate in another. Same thing with all kinds of mature content. So we asked them, like, what, what should the rules be? And they told us. They know, what they know their audience. They know what their audience wants. So we took their rules, and so, some of them are around erotica. Some universes and worlds we are perfectly fine with erotica, others not. Um, we respect that, so we, we let the most important things we tell the writers what those rules are. We say, here are the rules. You want to come write in this world? You want to come play in the sandbox? Here are the rules. Are there more mature worlds that you're allowed to get more graphic with the uh, content or yeah, not? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. So yeah. there are. Absolutely. So there's the R-rated fan fiction and there's the PG, PG-13. Uh, I don't use that. I don't. Use, I know we're in Hollywood here. I don't use that scale. But yeah, no. It, there's things that are appropriate for the audience. If a book has a, a younger audience, a YA-ish audience, or a young adult audience, uh, you know, maybe that's not appropriate. But other worlds, you know, uh, it's absolutely fine. Because there was one of the things I noticed that uh, there was uh, guidelines in the GI Joe's one, which is two ones I'll bring up. It said uh, this, the character Snake Eyes shall never be depicted or described as a fan of the New York Yankees. <laughs> okay, and then the second one was from Veronica Mars. Your work may not include any of the Veronica Mars series characters in the years after Veronica Mars is in college. Yeah. Uh, what goes into these guidelines? Like, what's this creative back and forth with the rights holders like? Uh, we talked to them about their guidelines. We love their guidelines. Um, and uh, Snake Eyes uh, from the GI Joe world. Uh, 
Uh, Hasbro, which is the licensor in this instance, is a Rhode Island-based company. Um, and Snake Eyes cannot be a Yankees fan. I'm a, I'm a Yankees fan, but I'm on, the, I'm on the other side of the Connecticut River. Snake Eyes, not so much. So he's not allowed to be a Yankees fan. Um, and the Veronica Mars, uh, that's an, the, the license that we acquired from uh, Warner Brothers for that was specifically for uh, the TV show years, which cover Veronica Mars in high school and college. There's a lot of creativity going on around after Rob's writing some new novels. There's the movie. Our license focuses on the TV shows. So you provide various sandboxes for mm -hmm. story worlds. Yep. And we want people to contribute to them. And the cool thing is that writers are able to contribute based on what each other Right. So if you were to write an, uh, a story in a world and introduce some cool character or new plot line that I thought was awesome and I read it, I could come in and I could be like, oh, man, I'm going to I'm going to build on Peter's idea and I'm going to tell I'm going to take that character further. So that is where you sort of get into your earlier point about some open source ideas of, of stories building on top of each other. So there is That's a teamwork. So there's a teamwork yeah. going on. Yep. The, the, we, we've, we've facilitated it to happen. Uh, and it, it's beginning to happen, and I think we'll see more and more as we go. What's your favorite example of a bunch of writers getting together and building something out collaboratively? Um, most, of the, most of the writers that we have right now, I think, are responding individually. Uh, but I think one of the things that we've seen, um, and I've talked about it a few times here, but is Hugh has a really close relationship with the writers who are in his world, and he's really responding to their work and, and, and helping promote it and talk about it with, them, with the writers. Uh, and just today I was coming down on, um, and just checking on Facebook, and uh, uh, the writer Blake Crouch, we have uh, a world of his called Wayward, and that's about to be a, a show uh, on Fox. And uh, he was just talking about some of the work the writers had done. So one of the things that's happening is writers are getting feedback directly from the show creators or the writers. And I think that is somebody out of nowhere all of a sudden, like somebody goes, hey man, I love your work. And it's the person who started it all. That's pretty cool. So you have like a TV show creator, and instead of a, you know the you know the writing room, which is very typical to industry, yeah. you could have a writing room of a thousand people. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's a lot of. I mean, again, it's early days for what we do, uh, but I can see worlds where we we launch a world that's built on ideas um, and um, almost like a showrunner model where there's a story arc. That that could be something we do in the future. And as we speak of TV. Amazon definitely has a production distribution arm and they reach so many people of great content. And is there ever a point where you're thinking you pull the right lever and you suddenly have this giant team of writers around the world just building out IP and then it just pushes through all the different platforms that people say is transmedia storytelling where you're adding one element after another. Is that kind of like the long-term future of Amazon? Um. I would love to see that happen. I, th I think it could be really cool. We're speaking of hypotheticals. What would you see in that future? What does this what would this future look like? Where, in a in a sense, this running angle is: Would you look at a film studio as a you see the development executives, where they get the material, they develop it, but here it's a self-organizing system in a sense because you have all these writers creating, and building out. So it's almost like if you had Marvel instead of just having you know the base canon that they've created. But this constantly evolving building thing that doesn't have the same level of, uh, you know, gatekeepers. Yeah. So Amazon, uh, many several years ago, launched a, a self-publishing platform called Kindle Direct Publishing or KDP. And when that first started, um, uh, a lot of writers started to contribute to it, and it was, you know, this thing that was kind of cool over in this corner of publishing. 
in the last couple of years, it has become more and more mainstream. More writers are doing it. More writers are getting wildly successful out of it. And we're also starting to see more writers get movie deals out of it. Um, some of the writers I've mentioned earlier, that's where they started. And they've gotten some great movie deals and TV deals out of it. So you're saying executives and agents and managers are going through Kindle Worlds to find great writers? Uh, through KDP right now. KDP. So what I could see happening is I think Kindle Worlds has that same potential. I think people who are in the entertainment business, I think people who are uh, out there to create um, for the, all of us that love to go sit in theaters or watch on our devices or watch on our TVs, uh, everyone's looking for talent. Everyone's looking for really good story writers. Uh, stories, ideas are one thing, but people who can to tell a good story, create compelling characters, create great dialogue, that's hard to find. And um, so they're looking in a lot of places for that right now. And I think Kindle Worlds has the potential to become one of those. So we speak about the future of Kindle Worlds. Now let's talk about the present and the past. Amazon has more analytics to understand its consumers than almost any other company. I mean, other you look at Netflix and a couple other big names. What are you learning as you go? What are the biggest lessons over the lifespan of Kindle Worlds that you could speak of? Um, I'm going to sound a little boring, but I'm going to tell you the truth. Quality sells. People who tell good stories, where customers like it, that, those are the things that customers are looking for, readers are looking for. Um, something comes up and it's not, I mean, we've, we've, again, we've published over 400 stories in eight months and we, we give writers a lot of access just to come on and get their stuff up there. A lot of it is tremendous. Some of it is really good. And then occasionally there's something that's not so good. And just like any other form of entertainment, people gravitate towards the, the better stuff. Now we um, say better, but when you look at fan fiction, it covers very specific areas sometimes. Niches, they change genders of characters, yeah. races, orientation. Is there ever a time where you go, we have the long tail effect where this really is great for this uh, demographic, it's ranked to that demographic, and then this is the same story and it's written in a different way. So you're able to cover a larger market because of the ability to uh, shift perspectives with this type of fan fiction? Um, I think that writers who are, I think one of the things writers love to do is take characters and do gender bending or put them into different circumstances that are kind of outside of what the, the original writers have done. And um, I think that that is, in many instances, a, a very vibrant niche market. Um, I think people who are genuinely fans of the work itself are more interested in seeing their characters um, as they sort of imagine them themselves. So you talk about experimenting, mm -hmm. and that's very much the Silicon Valley philosophy, where a lot of Hollywood is very much a legacy business. So one end, the industry wants to take industry, wants to experiment, learn constantly, iterate, while entertainment industry kind of sticks so it works, and sometimes they're scared of cannibalizing their business. How do you deal with that uh, tug of war between dealing with content but also dealing with technology? Well, I think that when you work in a space where your most important thing is how your customers, uh, the service that they get from you, the, the quality that you can provide to your customers, which of course is at the very core of, the, uh, of Amazon, um, you uh, are willing to take chances on their behalf. You're willing to try new things for them. Um, and some of them don't work out. Some of them are amazing. 
Uh, so that's really core to Amazon. We're, you know, we, we're willing to go down a blind alley to find a new idea. And sometimes, as our CEO has said, that blind alley opens up into a boulevard. Um, so when we think about, when I think about customers at Amazon, I think about readers, of course, but I also think about writers. So we're willing to try new things on behalf of writers. Um, and uh, you could, it's, it's a, there's a lot of companies who are more likely to be, look at competitors and follow what's happening. Um, we tend to focus on the people that matter to us who are you know, writers and readers. So you're building out the super team of authors on this platform and success will be having even larger, more, uh, more powerful team of writers. Is saying covering more genres. Like, what does the success look like when you say writers is the metric for success? Uh, so, that, uh, success to me would look like a couple of things. Uh, first, we will have uh, more worlds for people to write in, more variety. Different people come in and like, oh yeah, I'm familiar with that. I want to go write in that world. That would be a measure of success for us that we're working for. Another measure of success for us is that we have uh, a blend of writers who come in and um, some are seasoned professional writers who f get taken in by the creative challenge and the fun of working in somebody else's world. Uh, and we get a lot of writers who come in and it's the first thing they ever wrote or the first thing they ever published more likely. And uh, we, we have that right now. I just want to see that get exponentially bigger. And... Um, and then find a, continue to find a broader readership. So more worlds, more writers, more readers. That to me is what success looks like. How do you bring in new readers? Because this is a very innovative and experimental new form of marketplace. Because people are not used to the term buying fan fiction. How do you introduce this as a uh, piece of content worth purchasing? Um, well, a lot of it is just working within the, the tremendous Amazon ecosystem and uh, we can look for what people are interested in reading and buying, and we put our stuff in front of them um, through um, our, our, on our website, and uh, they, they buy it, hopefully. What's the question that I should have asked you, but I didn't? <laughs> well, the one, you, the one that you, you didn't ask me, and you probably shouldn't have, but I'll, I'll ask it anyways, is uh, who do we want to get? You know, And uh, that's probably the most commonly asked question. And there's like some holy grail properties out there. I don't even need to name them. Uh, Can I, if you nod your head, would that be a yes? Okay, um, Star Wars. Star Trek? <laughs> of course. You know, there's some big stuff out there, and uh, we'd be thrilled to see some of those big properties come in. But I'll say right now, the worlds that we have in, we're, we're thrilled with them, and we just hope that it gets bigger. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hollywood 2.0. This is Peter Katz. Feel free to contact me at Katz, K-A-T-Z, films at gmail.com, and follow me on Twitter at PeterKatz1. And you can also check out more episodes of Hollywood 2.0 on SoundCloud and iTunes.